Don't you just love dramatic intros? I felt like I was going to watch uh, something um, cinematic. Um, Me and my family, we we do movie nights. Uh, We haven't done one in a while. We're overdue, but we love to sit and uh, and watch movies, and there's something artistic that just draws me in, and so I love this intro um, because I, I, I feel like the subject that we're on is a little bit more dramatic than it um, than we take it to be. Uh, we're talking about discipleship, X marks the spot, you know, and um, we're discovering, or for some of you, rediscovering what discipleship really is. We've been going over this for the past... Uh, this would be the third week, and I hope, uh, even as Pastor Matt had alluded to, that you are getting something out of this, and I want you to know how encouraged I've been as I'm talking to some people, and I'm hearing you guys repeat what we're talking about up here, and I'm hearing you guys not just repeat what you're hearing, but you're taking what you're learning, and you're actually planning uh, to do something with it if you haven't already, and that's what we're talking about, because how many know the Word of God is not meant to be learned? It's meant to be done. And so that's what we're talking about. And as we talk about discipleship, it's, it's one of those things in, in the uh, Western church world that um, it gets kind of lost in the shuffle. There's a lot of different uh, interpretations of what discipleship is. And we think Jesus did a pretty good job at modeling what discipleship should be. And so we're going through this. Um, how many of you remember the very first time you rode a bicycle? Right? How many of you were by yourself and you just jumped on and it worked? Okay, one, two people. For the rest of us, if you were like me, it took somebody holding the seat behind me and running along with me, right? And then picking me up about 10 feet down the street. And it took several times to, to, you know, of, of that. You know, something else that's kind of happening in my life right now is uh, I have two sons who are uh, growing up, one is in college and the other one is a senior in high school. And he is also learning to drive like his older brother. And so I'm in a car with a non-licensed but permitted teenager. And it's kind of the same deal. If you learn to drive, how many of you just found the keys and got in the car and took off by yourself? Anybody? Besides Art. <laughs> what age? 13, I got to hear this story, okay? You didn't bring that up the other night. (laughs) And so, um, but you know, driving, it's the same thing. It's having somebody sitting in the seat next to you kind of cueing you in on things uh, that you're supposed to be doing. One thing that I find myself telling Zion all the time is, hey, don't forget to signal. I'll I'll see the GPS and I'll, I'll, I'll know the turn. And, you know, I don't know what the official um, length of distance is when you're supposed to hit your signal. I think that sometimes is on the test. But I just kind of feel it out. But I just notice that sometimes he won't hit the signal. I'm like, uh, son, signal. Oh, yeah. You know, you got to tell people where you're going. You got to let people know, right? Or, you know, I, another thing I find myself doing um, when you're teaching somebody to drive, just a hint, the passenger side brakes do not work. Okay? And so sometimes Zion will be easing up on a stoplight or a stop sign, and I'm, I'm pressing into the floor as if the car's going to stop and, and my, I don't even have brakes, but I'm telling Zion, you know, hey, uh, son, you want to start braking now? Start braking now, now, now. And he'll start to brake, and then we'll, you know, so far it's been okay. It's been safe. But, you know, as I, as I look at that 
uh, this season that we're in, and I'm teaching my son to drive, it's a pretty good comparison to discipleship. Because discipleship is something that uh, Jesus, his model was he did it first, and then he told you, now you do it, but he supervised as well. He was there. And he say, what I do, you can do. And he'll say, go for it. And then he'll kind of regroup with his people, uh, with his disciples, and he'll teach and he'll correct or he'll encourage, you know, and, and then they go out and they, and they do it all over again. And I believe this is a, just a great model of discipleship for us to follow. I think Jesus did a pretty good job. You know, his, we talked about evangelism uh, the last couple of weeks and how God is going to use this church to reach the city. Amen? Right? And so, um, you know, one thing about evangelism, Jesus would either create a crowd or find one. And so, um, you know, and so when it, you know, when it comes to evangelism, right, this is, you know, something God is, is putting in us. But you notice Jesus would always go to the crowds, but he would always come back to his 12, to his 12 disciples. And so um, he would go out to the training ground with them and say, hey, go for it, cut loose, I'm with you. You can do it, the word of God says. Uh, and then he'd come back and they'd kind of, you know, uh, debrief. And so I want to talk to you about Equipping, say equipping. Um, and we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, I'm going kind of tr- uh, to try to run through some of this because I want to read uh, some really good stuff um, from a book called Wiki Church. It was written by uh, one of the co-founders of Every Nation, um, Pastor Steve Merle. You guys uh, have heard of him because we talk about him a lot. Uh, I'll be quoting him uh, plenty uh, in today's message, but we're going to be coming out of Ephesians chapter 4. But first, let me give you some context about Ephesians. Um, it was written by Paul while he was in prison. A lot of the books of the Bible uh, that he wrote was while he was in prison. And during his time in the city of Ephesus, it was a time where he saw many Jewish people and Gentiles come to know um, who the Lord was, who Jesus was. They converted over to faith, the faith. And so Paul wrote this book uh, as a, it was probably um, was one of the most formal letters he ever wrote to any church. And so the book deals with topics at the very core of what it means to be a Christian, both in faith and in practice. We're good at, we're good at you know, faith, the faith side. We're, we're good at saying things and saying the right things. But what God wants to see, what I was encouraged, what I started with, I was encouraged how people are hearing God's word and doing something with it. And that's what we are called to do as God's church. So uh, in the first three chapters, it was kind of uh, instructional, right? It was kind of the learning. You know, when you're in college, you have a lab session, right? And you do your labs. uh, or, Or no, you do your instruction. And then you have a lab where you actually get to do what you were learning, right? And so the first three chapters of Ephesians was was kind of that. It was kind of, you know, explaining, kind of going to school, you know, reminding. And then chapters four through six, Paul wanted to protect Christians and he wanted to protect the church from future problems. And so he's exhorting these new believers to grow in maturity. Say maturity. We're going to talk a lot about maturity today. Uh, And the reason why he did this is because spiritual maturity benefits not just the individual. It also benefits the Christian community overall. And so he's exhorting them 
on how to do this. And so uh, even as we talk about Christian community, it leads to a more effective witness of who God is and what he's done in your life when we, when we are equipped and we attain this measure of maturity. But it's going to take a little bit more explanation. Um, for us here at Every Nation Church Las Vegas, our path to discipleship is something that we call the four E's. Um, who knows the first E? Just shout it out. Engage. We talked about that uh, two weeks ago. And then what's the second E? Establish. We talked about establishing last week, right? So we engage the lost. We engage the community. We engage culture. And then those that respond, we equip them in faith, in God's word, and in community. God called us to walk in community. No such thing as me and Jesus at home. We get each other. We understand. I can have church by myself. Show me in the Bible. It, it was never meant to be that way. If you find yourself in a situation like that, it's probably temporary. But it's not the way it was designed to be. Uh, and then the third E, who knows that? Equip. That's your cue for today. That's your, that's your hint. We're talking about equipping. Uh, and we equip, when we say equip, here's what it means. Let me give you, I think, an appropriate um, definition. It's this. For us, equipping means developing people in their character and ministry skills so they can effectively engage, establish, equip, and empower disciples to make more disciples. All right? And I just gave you a cue of the last E, which is M, power, and Pastor Matt is going to bring that home next week. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, we're going to be in verse 11 through 13. It's going to be our main text. We're going to dive in this a little bit uh, deeper. It says this, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers... We'll call those the professionals, okay? He gave those five, verse 12 says, to equip his people for works of service. His people, how many are a his people? I hope you're a his people. <laughs> That's not a time for you to be shy. <laughs> how many are his people? Right. Okay, I think you guys are shy because of what I'm about to say about his people. Right, as we talk about equipping. It, so the professionals in verse 11 are to, verse 12, equip his people, which you guys raise your hand and God saw it, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. There's that word we're going to talk about today, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Holy Spirit, we ask you today, as we always do, to illuminate your word, to bring your word to life. Lord, may it uh, just, may it uh, have a place in our hearts, but Father, may it not stay there. Lord, may it move us into action today. Um, Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the goal is to continually grow spiritually until, say until. If there was a who, what, when, where, why, this is, 
you know, the who would be you, <laughs> right? The what would be maturity. The when is until. Until. There's no magic kind of, you know, da, 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 I've arrived, I've graduated, give me my certificate, and now I'm a, a bona fide spiritual giant. It doesn't happen that way. It's until. Until we reach maturity. So the goal is maturity uh, and, and unity, the Bible says. We don't reach maturity unless we are first equipped, and equipping is a sign of spiritual growth. So I'm setting you up because I'm going to use certain language to help us understand this. But, you know, we talked about riding a bicycle. Um, and how many know that balance comes after you're moving? Right? You know, and I, I remember teaching my nephew. He was three years old, and he had this little 24-inch bike with training wheels. We had a hill in our backyard. It was just a very gradual hill, and it was um, soft grass. So you know, what I, you know how I taught him to ride at three years old without training wheels? I would put him on the hill, and I would push him. And the momentum would keep him up. And then I would say, first he would keep his legs out, and then I'd bring the bike back, and I'd say, let's do it again. And I'd roll him down the hill, and this time I'd say, pedal. And then he would pedal. And then I said, okay, now I want you, after you go to the bottom of the hill, try to pedal up the other side. And so he did. And at three years old, there's this little kid who could barely talk, getting his bike and just flying all over the neighborhood. You know, and people are going, how old is he, right? And it's really, the way you teach someone to ride a bike is to just go move. And that, I don't know what scientific term it is that just kind of keeps you up, right? And so, uh, likewise, it's like uh, the rudder of a ship. You know, if a ship is sitting in the water, it doesn't matter if you turn the rudder to the left or right. If it's not moving, it does nothing, right? So, when we talk about equipping, equipping really means doing what God has, has told or instructed you to do, all right? So, in our minds, we think all the church stuff is supposed to be done by church leaders, right? Right, Pastor Matt? You're supposed to be doing the preaching and the sharing and the setting up and the, because you're a church guy. That's, that's just the way it is, right? That's what we think. That's what we think, right? Okay, good, good, good. I like this feedback. Right. That means we're doing something right here, Pastor Matt. We're going to have help. We're going to have help. <laughs> spiritual growth and equipping comes by doing I wish for the sake of me looking good up here it was a little bit more complicated but it's not God wants us to get up and do something look at your neighbor look at somebody turn behind you do something say do something all right <laughs> so here, from our main text, here's what we can learn about spiritual growth. Spiritual growth that leads to maturity. Spiritual growth is intentional. Spiritual growth is planned. It was planned from the heavens, and it should be planned from church leadership. Verse 11, so Christ himself gave. This, has, this is how he was intentional. He said, I need to grow this church. Let me give the church these five people. Prophets, apostles, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. But it doesn't stop there, right? I mean, after all, the pastors get paid, right? Most of them. 
maybe, hopefully, if, if they're in a good church, kind of, right? Pray for us. No, let me just say this. Let me say this, guys. Seriously, I know I'm joking about it. That's typically the case. I want to thank you guys for your generosity. Um, as a church, you guys um, really uh, bless us, and you guys have blessed us outside of what we know to be, you know, typical, uh, and you guys always do that. So, so thank you so much. We really um, just appreciate the love and, and generosity. So um, here's another hint. We'll be talking about money in another series here in a couple months. So get ready. Christ himself gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service. So God was intentional by giving us church leaders. He had a plan. He gives church leaders to equip his people. Take that finger and point it right at yourself to train, say, moi. We're going to get fancy in our language. It doesn't matter what you say in French. Everything just sounds very nice, right? One comedian said, um, you know, you can talk about going to the bathroom in French, and it sounds good. Hey, excuse me, I go to the bathroom, they poo-poo, right? <laughs> and so, say moi, me. <laughs> God gives leaders to equip you. He was intentional about church growth, growth. and again, if God was intentional, then we should be intentional as well. Speaking of me and Pastor Matt and your life group leaders and the people who help help provide guidance to you. One of the best examples of this is Jesus and Peter. Now, we don't don't have time to go into those scriptures, but we all know who Peter is, right? I grew up in a Catholic church, and everything was St. Peter, from where we were, you know, and so my mom would always talk about St. Peter, um, and so I knew who Peter was even as a, as a young kid, and so Peter was a character, right? When Jesus called Peter, his name was Simon, but Jesus changed his name to Peter. Now, there's a Greek translation, um, and that, uh, his Greek name was Petros, which means stone or means rock, Why did Jesus call Peter the rock? Was it because he was muscle-bound? First name Dwayne, last name Johnson? Is that why Jesus called Peter the rock? No. At the moment Jesus said it, Peter was not the rock. But Jesus was calling Peter as what he was going to be, not what he, as he is now. And so Jesus was looking a little bit further. And he says, you're, Peter, you're the rock. But he said, on this rock, Peter means little rock, but on this rock, I will build my church. And so the proudest statement or declarations that Peter ever made that he would later regret was when he said, Jesus, I will never deny you. He's the rock. Jesus, I'll be with you no matter what. Right? How many have ever said that to, to your friend? To the but no, no, you're on your own, man. Sorry. Or maybe a, a loved one. And so Jesus, who had done everything for the disciples, was with them every for that three years. They're never separated. And Peter is, is sold out. Jesus, I will do everything. I will never, I'll never deny you, Jesus. Peter knew the plan. Jesus 
foreshadowed what was going to happen. I'll be right by you, Jesus. And then what happens shortly after that, not only does he deny him, he denies him three times in front of a little girl. You're one of his disciples. No, I don't know that guy. And he denies him. But he calls Peter the rock, not because he was one, but he was going to become one. So Jesus looks into the future. Now, when a sculpture, when I think about this picture of a rock, and you think about a sculpture, right? And a sculpture is going to create something out of this rock. He looks at the rock, and he sees the rock for what it's going to become. He has this picture in his mind. It's futuristic. And Jesus was doing the exact same thing. And the sculpture starts to get his hands dirty. He starts to chisel away. And I'm sure chiseling doesn't feel good. I'm sure the chipping doesn't feel good. When, when this doesn't look like the picture Jesus wants, so I'm going to chip that part off. And we're, we're living our life, and we never knew. And the moment we come to know Jesus, he starts saying, yeah, that part, I think we're going to do without. And as a disciple, someone who follows him, we go, ah, yes, yes, Lord, right? And it doesn't always feel good, does it? But Jesus is turning us into something that we're not right now, but something that we're to become. And so this is what happened with Peter. Jesus calls him. Jesus equips him. Jesus sanctifies him and chisels away and, and forms something that Peter never was before. If you were to do a character study on Peter, I mean, I probably would have ditched him if I was Jesus. Man, I am tired of your stuff, man. Get out. Right? But Jesus, as graceful as he is, as gracious as he is, has this relationship with Peter, and he walks him through until the very end. And Peter becomes one of our spiritual heroes years, years later. Even got his own books. How's that? So a leader is not self-made or appointed. Instead, a leader should be humble and always aware that he is where he is because of God's mercy. I am where I am because of God's mercy, because of his grace. I know where I should be. I know where I should have wound up. But thank God he didn't give up on me. And thank God I don't look the same way. I'm still being worked on. I'm just saying, okay, those New Year's resolutions <clears throat> coming up, you know, we're going to hit those again as we always do. But the point is Jesus didn't give up on me. And, I, and I'm here because of his mercy and because of his grace. And, of course, it doesn't happen overnight. And this leads to the next point. Spiritual growth is incremental. Spiritual growth is a process. It's never immediate. God will do things miraculously, certain things, just because he's God and he can. But it doesn't mean everything is right just the way it's supposed to be. Again, it's until. Verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith, in the knowledge of the Son of God and become Mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And Pastor Steve Merle's book, Wiki Church, I'm sure between the two of us, me and Pastor, we've probably read this book a combined 10 times at least. It's not a hard read. It's very simple. It's very easy. But our whole discipleship philosophy comes from the simplicity 
of what Pastor Steve says in this book. And it's something that I've come to appreciate. Um, and I don't want to get ahead of myself. Um, so um, uh, he says that churchgoers and church leaders have a counting problem. So in our main text, we read Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, 12, and 13, right? And so uh, verse 11 mentions the mentors, the professionals, the pastors, prophets, evangelists, teachers, uh, what did I miss? Apostles. Did I say apostles? Okay. Then I'm missing one. Apostles. Prophet, that prophets is the one I missed. Okay. The professionals. Okay, that's us. We do this for a living. Right? Verse 11. Verse 12 mentions the ministers. The ministers aren't the professionals in this context. The ministers are who? His people. Moi. Right? Okay, track with me. Um, so verse uh, 11, mentors and professional, professionals, pastors. Verse 12, you, ministers, volunteers, you know. Um, I don't want to say average because you might take it in the wrong way and then you might email me. But you guys, that's verse 12. And then verse 13 says maturity. Then you attain maturity. So it goes from me and Pastor Matt to you guys and then maturity. But when it comes to operating in church, here's what the church has turned out to be. They mix those verses up. And instead of going 11, 12, 13, the church wants to go 11, 13, 12. So in our text, the design is we equip you Step two, you minister. And as you minister, as you get on that bike, as you're pedaling, as the ship is going and you begin to turn that rudder, then you reach maturity. But the church wants you to be mature before we trust you to, to say anything. Oh, we don't want to give them the microphone or the pulpit because they're not really mature yet. Guess what? That's, that's backwards thinking. So somehow we mix that up. We insist that maturity must come before ministry, but it doesn't. Ministry comes before maturity. So if you have a goal, if you have a desire to be mature in Christ, it doesn't mean wait until you're perfect to start doing something. It means in your imperfection, let's go. And we're all in this together. We love that song here. It's funny a couple of weeks ago, I joked with that song. And guess what we watched when we got home from church? I got two young ones in my house now. We watched that whole movie. And we knew all the words to those songs. So we insist on maturity before ministry, but it's backwards. And I'm letting you know, Every Nation Church Las Vegas goes from us to you. Go for it. Start a life group. Let us know how we can help. You don't have to be perfect. It's almost like saying professional mentors help you to reach maturity. <laughs> it, it just doesn't work. And I wouldn't want that job. <laughs> I don't want to be the one to have to bring you to maturity. That's, that's the Holy Spirit's job. We just get busy in God's kingdom. Everything else will take care of itself. 
When it comes to making disciples, which we're all called to do, we're all, say all. We're all each one. We're all called to do. Pastor Steve mentions three discipleship myths and three discipleship truths. I want to read this to you real quick. And I hope that this liberates you the way that it liberated me. When did this book come out, Pastor Matt? Do you remember? It says so in my book. I'm just lazy to look. I just thought you knew. <laughs> but it, it came out uh, several years ago. Um, <laughs> it's been around quite some time, and that's why we've read it so much. Um, but it was, it was kind of as, you know, as I was trying to find my way in ministry. And I was trying to find my way as a, as a leader. And then this book comes up just in time. Because I don't know about you, I would talk myself out of things. And I would say, God, who do I think I am? I'm so not perfect. God, who, who am I to try to lead a, a life group? And, I, you know, and man, you're still, you're still dealing with me on certain things? This book came right at time. So the myth of mentoring. My pastor's job is to minister to me. Say no. No, that's not our job. That's not our job. Our job is to equip you. This myth causes church people to demand that pastors spoon feed them, care for them, and meet all their spiritual needs. It turns pastors into spiritual pseudo-superheroes. As much as we'd like to be, we are not. Correct me if I'm wrong, Pastor Matt. We are not. Pastor Matt said so. It turns pastors into spiritual pseudo-superheroes and regular Christians into passive spectators at religious shows. Here's another myth. The, you know what? Let me do this differently. If that's the myth, then here is the spiritual truth uh, to counter that. The truth of mentoring. A pastor's job is not primarily to minister to people, but to equip people to minister to others. Life, church, and ministry are not about the people in the chairs. They are about God's, about God and others. All right, here's The myth of ministry. I'm not ready to be used by God. How many have ever thought that? I'm not ready to be used by God. This myth convinces people they don't pray enough, aren't mature enough, don't know enough Bible verses, have too many past sins, are too young or too old, and so on, to keep them from engaging in ministry. And I'm sure you can add a few more spiritual excuses to that list. Has anybody ever heard one of those in your head when you try to do something for God? All right, so the truth of ministry. While some members may not feel ready yet, God is ready to use them now. Even if they think they don't pray enough, aren't mature enough, don't know enough Bible verses, or have too many past sins. Even if, say even if. Even if they're too young or too old or lost their temper yesterday. I'm not going to ask how many of you lost your temper yesterday. 
and use the sword, a uh, uh, sword, no, wow, use the A word. <laughs> Put your swords away, Peter. And use the word the pastor would never use on Sunday. God wants to use you. God wants to use them. The myth of maturity. Here we go. We're talking about spiritual growth. We're talking about the goal, spiritual maturity. Here's the myth of maturity. No one should minister until he is mature spiritually. This myth convinces believers that before they even attempt to minister to others, they need another discipleship class, purple book, one-to-one. They need another training course, that video that you have to order online, and now you're going to be, you know, um, you're going to add another dimension to your spiritual tool belt. Uh, or another leadership seminar, uh, another frame certificate on the wall. Only then would they possibly be mature enough to be used by God. Okay, that's the myth. Here's the truth of maturity. We can't wait until every believer feels mature enough to minister because no one will ever uh, be mature enough unless they minister. This is one of those chicken and egg conundrums, which comes first, ministry or maturity. According to the Bible, ministry comes first. Remember, 11, 12, 13. Now you know why I love this book so much. If you want to reach spiritual maturity, and I had to tell myself this, Roland, stop sitting. Start doing. Then I began to see God show up real in my life. Then the things that usually would pick me off or you know, uh, or uh, drive me into discouragement or drive me into retreat. Those things didn't affect me anymore because all I knew was to go forward. In my imperfectness, go forward. In my weakness, go forward. In my not knowing, go forward. And I was around a community of people who told me, you can keep going. Here's the last point. Spiritual growth is an investment Spiritual growth is an investment in people. It's an investment in people. God has called us to be discipled, and he's called us to disciple others. I know what you're thinking. When I first heard all of this, I was like, there is no way you want me to do what? Who's going to listen to me anyway? We're the same age. They're not going to listen to me. They, they saw the way I grew up. They know the truth about me. They're not going to listen to me. They know the real side of me. This is my family. They've seen my best. They've seen my worst. Why would anyone listen to me? We are called to be discipled and to make disciples regardless. Colossians 1, 24 through 29 says this. Uh, 27 through 29, sorry. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, when... Paul is talking about the mystery. See, we know now because we have the Bible and we read it and we know what happened. The mystery was that Jesus and this salvation was not just for the Jews. It was for the Gentiles. And no one could really figure that out. When, you know, when we read uh, Matthew 28 and it says, go into all the world 
You know the way the Jewish people would have interpreted it back then? Go into the, all the Jewish world. They weren't thinking. Jesus had to specifically say, go into the nations, all of them, to the ends of the earth. That was the mystery. So that was a freebie. Um, to them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory, the Bible says. Him we proclaim. Him we proclaim. That we may present everyone mature in Christ. There is no maturity unless we first proclaim. We must go out and proclaim. And it's never about us. It never stops at us. You start to see how this becomes inclusive. When you go out and proclaim, we all go towards maturity together. We may present everyone mature in Christ. Say everyone. God doesn't want anyone left behind. Verse 29, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. That right there takes away any excuses of your weakness. It takes away any excuses of your um, ignorance or not knowing or lack of knowledge or whatever excuses that we use because it's his energy. He powerfully works in me. Anyone making progress with God should be making disciples. Anyone following Jesus should be helping others follow him. That's discipleship. Following God and then helping somebody else follow him too. I would not be where I'm at had I not had certain people in my life challenging me, helping me, encouraging me. I thank God for them. Lifelong friends. I still see them today. We still joke about some of the stuff that I did. <laughs> but I thank God that they spoke the truth and love to me. And I thank God that, that when, when I would retreat and go into my little dark caves, they would come after me. And they'd say, come out. What are you doing here? Come out. This is not where God wants you. You don't belong here. And they would encourage me, and I'd keep going. And I thank God that I'm a little bit more mature than I was back then, but I'm not there yet. We're all uh, striving for maturity together, and that's what the Bible is talking about. We all do this together as we all do our part. As, as Pastor Steve was telling the story of how Victory Christian Fellowship started. That's what this book is all about. Victory Christian Fellowship is our uh, family of churches in the Philippines. Started in Manila, and now they're all over the nation. I don't know the accurate numbers now. It's, it's really outrageous. I mean, when you talk about a mega church, you might talk about, you know, I don't know, several thousands, maybe even tens of thousands. But if you were to combine all the churches in the Philippines, I mean, you're talking like among hundreds of thousands now. It's just, it's nuts. All of that movement, that whole movement, and even every nation, because we weren't yet every nation as Victory Christian Fellowship started. And we have what we have today, a movement that is now in, I believe, 86 nations with, with about another 13 churches, I believe, in the queue to be pop. So Pastor Steve was telling the story of how Victory Christian Fellowship started, and he mentions how he and his wife 
were a part of a missionary team of 65 people that went to the Philippines. College students. They went to Manila. At the time, the country was in political turmoil. Communism was big back then. Um, there were protests going on. There were struggles among the government. Marcos was the president at the time. He was very corrupt. Um, they didn't have a whole lot of, you know, freedom or choices. And so these students began to uh, protest. And so they were only there for a month, and they found this one spot off of a street. It was a basement, and they would meet in the basement. And as they're preaching to these students and leading these students to the Lord, tear gas would bounce down the steps, and one of the Americans would have to grab the tear gas and throw it back out into the street. And that's what they were dealing with as they're as they're preaching the gospel and sharing the good news of Christ to these young students. Yet in the midst of it all, hundreds of students were getting saved. All the while, the missions team was getting ready to leave. One month there, hundreds of people are getting saved. What do you do? Because you know you're leaving. For church leaders... That's a serious issue. We would never want to lead people to the Lord and then not disciple them, not see them grow into maturity. That would be like spiritual abortion. We wouldn't want to do that. And this is what Pastor Steve is having to deal with. Pastor Steve is a young college student at this moment. So they created their own problem. They led these people to the Lord. Now who's going to care for them? Who's going to disciple them? I'm going to read one more. Uh, two more uh, excerpts to you. Um, it says this. Uh, talking about when they went. It says, everything we did in that month in Manila was motivated by the concept I had heard over and over at Mississippi State University campus ministry. That saying was this, work yourself out of a job. Years later, someone commented it on the scores of young leaders who continually emerged from Victory Manila. They were wondering aloud why American churches, by comparison, didn't produce as many leaders. Matter of fact, if we're honest, a lot of the uh, Western churches don't produce a lot of leaders because they have that mentality that the professionals do all the work. I'll leave that to the pastor. He's the leader. He'll do everything. And we've seen churches with thousands, and there's one kind of man of God that kind of runs the whole show. I would not want to be that guy. I would want to be surrounded by leaders who come up after me. And our heart is this, that anybody who rises up in leadership in this church will surpass myself, will surpass Pastor Matt, will preach better sermons than us, will lead more people to the Lord than us. This is our heart. As we talk about discipleship and raising up leaders, And I'll end with this. Here at Every Nation Church, I'm kind of paraphrasing, just to kind of fit us in. But Every Nation Church, Every Nation Ministries, our whole movement is intentional about equipping. At our churches, this process is pretty simple. 
Full-time leaders train believers to do basic Christian ministry. What is basic Christian ministry? It's sharing the gospel. We should all know how to share our faith. It's lead people to Christ. We should all be able to pray with somebody to receive the Lord, to pray with them to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to walk them through the waters of baptism. That's basic ministry. It's not just the pastor's job. How many of you are here and you're not a pastor or a paid leader, but you've baptized somebody? Okay, all right. You guys are next. (laughs) The people you lead to the Lord, you're gonna be with them in the waters of baptism. And because they are no longer spectators, average people do the work of the ministry. The average spectators become ministers. They are on the fast track to maturity. The church grows in size and maturity. The budget shrinks and the process perpetuates itself. It just keeps going and going and going, repeating itself. While the equipping process can be implemented in a single staff meeting, developing an equipping culture takes time. And this is what we're trying to build here. And this is why we're, we're thumping this into you. That's because we want you to understand that you guys can do anything that we do. You guys are called to minister. Even from that side of things, just because you're not up here doesn't negate what God has called you to do. Um, It all begins with a biblical mentality, a consistent way of thinking based on a clearly defined belief that all disciples should make disciples. How many of you are starting to believe that? All disciples are called to make disciples. If you have been discipled, you're going to help us make disciples. That is the calling of the church. It is the final thing Jesus said before he went to heaven. Um, It also helps if we know how to count. 11, 12, 13. And when believers are equipped to minister, after that, it's time to empower. But that is next week. Bow your heads and pray with me. Father, thank you for your word. Father, thank you for your plans. Lord, thank you for your purpose. Lord, thank you for including us. This gigantic picture that has been in place for all eternity. And here we are, this point in time, in this space, and that mission has never changed. And you've called us to do the same thing, Father, and that's to bring the good news to anyone that will hear, anyone that will listen. Now, Father, I ask you, Lord, to begin to shift our minds. Instead of coming and receiving, Lord, help us to come and hear and then go and do. Father, then we believe this church will will grow and grow and grow. And then we believe this church will grow into maturity, but not just the church, but us as individuals will mature as well. Lord, bless your church and bless your people. In Jesus' name, amen.